As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal. And I'm Tracy Alloway. Tracy, do you remember a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago now, someone made a like a fake AI version of the Odd Lots podcast and they like replicated oh. our voice. Yes, I think like they that. used ChatGPT to do it. And yeah. they basically asked ChatGPT to create a script for Odd Lots and yeah. then they had someone replicate another app or something replicate the It wasn't voices. a someone. Like, I mean, it was like yeah. some like other like AI yeah. app. It was like, yeah. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty good. It was like good. I mean, it clearly like was not us. How much did it worry you, Joe? I think I'm more of an AI doomer <laughs> worrier than you are. Interesting. I. I mean, I have concerns. Don't get me wrong. But what do you think is the worst case scenario? Is it robots taking over the world? <laughs> no, I think that like in a couple of years, the AI will do a really good job of making the Odd Lots podcast. <laughs> and people will say, I don't really need to listen to Joe and Tracy anymore. The AI is. I don't know. I'm like. You know, I, but I feel like maybe that's a little paranoid. No, I feel like there is reason for concern. I hope maybe I'm just being an optimist here. I hope we are a few years away from the Odd Lots replicant. I know, but I want to like do this for like another 30 years. Another I don't want to just have like three or four years or a few years. That's the optimistic scenario, is it? Doing this in 30 years time. OK. All right. Um, AI, lots of people expressing some worries about it. A million different kind of worries, yeah. And we see all these, you know, good ways that the technology is being used, but also insidious ways. As you pointed out, someone made an Odd Lots episode. I think that was in a, a in a very fun, spirited it's... way, a nice way. But there are people who use this technology for more nefarious things. Yeah, I think there was like a 60 Minutes recently where like someone was able to like impersonate someone's voice and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, you could imagine a scam where someone's like kids say, hey, I need money or sure. something like that. And they call and uh, it sounds just like them, especially in a couple of years when the tech gets better. And it becomes a bit of a crisis in the sense it's like, do I know that a person is a person Absolutely. when they talk to me on a Zoom, when they talk to me on a podcast, when they talk to me on a phone call, et cetera? Well, even on Twitter, on a much more basic level, yeah. you have all these bots. And yes. I don't know about you, but there seems to be a new Tracy Alloway with yes. the L as like an I and, and fooling everyone almost like every few weeks. And then you have to go through the whole bureaucracy of reporting to Twitter and proving that you are, in fact, the original Tracy Alloway. And not to get into uh, much of a tangent, but wasn't Elon going to solve this? Because he said like, oh, I'm buying Twitter to solve the bots problem. And I don't, and as you say, 
it's not been solved. I think that's a whole other episode. But but even with like really rudimentary like you you know fake Tracys and fake Joes like that's the most rudimentary thing just mm-hmm. like taking our avatar and like changing like one of the L's and tra- in the alloy to like a I or whatever or a one like that's just gonna get worse. Mm-hmm. You know what's a really good business model? <laughs> creating a problem and then creating the solution to it. Yes, that's exactly right. So you have all. So we have all of these uh, AIs. And uh, they're going to like replicate us, and they're going to look like us, and they're going to talk like us. But the good news, in a sense, good is that others are working on the problem of how do you prove right. that you are who you are in a world in which uh, AIs can replicate our voices and our faces and our expression. Technology can save us from technology is the thrust of this, right? Exactly. So we are going to be speaking to someone working on a technology uh, designed to address this concern in part. And as you say, some of the people working on it are some of the same people behind some of the most cutting edge AI research that's sort of like blowing everyone's minds in both good and scary ways these days. So I'm just gonna go ahead and lay out my priors here, which are that I find this sort of instinctively dystopian. Um, The topic of this podcast, what we're going to be discussing, this technology creeps me out a little bit. Uh, But that said, I don't know that much about it. I don't know much about how it works. And so I am very interested to hear the bull case on eyeball scanning. So you just jump right. We're going to be talking eyeball scanning. We are going to be speaking with Alex Blanya. He is the co-founder of WorldCoin, an entity that was set up also by uh, Sam Altman, who everybody, a name that everybody knows now because uh, he's the co-founder or the founder of uh, OpenAI, which powers ChatGPT and other tools. Uh, Other co-founder, Max Novenstern. We're going to be talking about how an eyeball scanner can pr- allow us to theoretically prove our humanity in this future AI world. Uh, so, Alex, thank you so much for uh, coming on Odd Lots. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. So, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, the threat, uh, how real is it that, you know, in a few years, do you think, uh, n- not whether um, AI will be able to create a perfect replica of the, the podcast, but that let's say we're having this conversation and I might really not know that I am talking to the real uh, Alex Blanya versus an AI that can perfectly replicate your voice and replicate your face. Like, is that two years away? Is that three years away? Like, how soon is that coming? Well, I think partially we are already there, Uh right? Um, The the technology is not completely open source yet, so you don't have widely deployed deployed systems that can't do that um but rather you have right now you have like a few entities that actually can do things like that or would be able to do things like that uh but this is going to change because of course the progress is is increasing so you had uh it started with dolly and uh you had stable diffusion and, and many other things that on the image generation side became increasingly impressive and i think ar ai art is one of the coolest things of the of the last couple uh, of, of the last year, to be honest. Hmm. So that's on the image generation side of things. And then of course right. you have ChatGPT on the text generation side of things. So I think on Twitter, as you discussed in the, in the introduction, uh, you, you are, I think already there that it could happen that you just chat with a neural network and you have absolutely no idea that you chat with a neural network and you might argue about odd lots, uh, <laughs> for like an hour and don't realize that 
I probably, actually, probably I know, I'm just thinking like half the people I argue with on Twitter probably are bots. Neural networks. Yeah. Um, well, maybe just to step back in yeah. time a little bit. I mean, WorldCoin yep. has been around for a few years now. And to some degree, as Joe mentioned, you guys kind of anticipated this threat. What was the sort of aha moment that made this all come together? Like, how did this actually develop into a company? And what was the use case thesis when you were just setting out? Well, we honestly did not... Um, we didn't start off to solve a threat, right? Hmm. Um, that is not kind of brief history in time. Sure. Uh, back then, I did I did research, so we, we started the company a little bit over three years ago, and I was doing research in deep learning applied to quantum physics. So I basically predicted quantum systems of neural networks, and that's kind of I think is a very promising field in physics. And uh, Sam was already working on the idea. Overall, kind together with Max, so I think they've already been on it for like six months. But of course, Sam had a full-time job at OpenAI. Max had a full-time job back then, so it was all like in a early idea phase. Then I got an email from uh, from Max back then uh, to with like a, an early paper describing the vision of of Rollcoin uh, and that I should come by and talk. And then had a couple of interviews with Max. Uh, one with Sam, we spent a lot of time together and actually decided to to proceed. But um, to go back to the initial proposition, and I think that is very important, it is not about yeah. solving a threat, but rather how, I mean, Sam was already working in OpenAI, and this was three years ago. So back then it was not yet an accepted topic that AI is going to happen and it's going to be as powerful as it is today. It was like a very niche topic, I think. Uh, Although OpenAI, of course, was already quite a famous entity. But of course, Sam was motivated by the idea of AI and what it's going to do to the world. And it's going to be this very powerful technology. And so the initial proposition of Rockland was really, what is the societal infrastructure that we can build that makes sure that AI is for the better of all of society versus a few? Uh, and and so there's, a, there's a, many things actually that come together here, like proof of personhood, uh, is what you just described is the ability to prove that you're an actual human being on the internet, which is basically just a much more capable identity system. Mm -hmm. But it goes as far as uh, we think eventually UBI will become a thing, and it actually is like a big chance if you have like a very, very powerful technology, and it's not about kind of political redistribution, but you have a very centralizing technology that you want to share the upside with the world with. And that was another motivation. Kind of Rollcoin can actually be the infrastructure to do that because you have a very capable identity system. You have a economic system that connects everyone. So there, there were like a, a couple of very ambitious reasons why we think something like that. So basically, creating and bootstrapping the largest identity and financial network that is actually mm -hmm. open and privacy preserving versus uh, relying on centralized gov government systems that might not work in, in large parts of the world is a very important proposition for the coming decades. So let's just jump right to it. Uh, if you're listening, people who are listening to this podcast, you might want to actually watch the video version. We're recording this on video as well. People just the audio, but here on set, I'm just going to, I was going to wait a little while before unveiling it. But this is, I'm holding in my hand. I feel like we need extra music as A this big comes orb. Up. It feels about six pounds. I don't know. How how heavy is this, uh, Alex? I'm sure you know the exact weight. 
Um, it's a little bit over one kilogram. Uh, oh, okay. So I was wrong on. So that's like just under like two and a half, two point, about two and a half pounds. Okay. Um, huh. Okay, that's fine. Uh, about two and a half pounds, and it's an eyeball scanner. And so here it is, and it's not working right now, or we we're not scanning right now. So I can like tilt this in our face. It's not scanning. But let's like talk about what this piece of hardware that I'm actually holding it is. That I'm going to set it on the table in front of me. It is an eyeball scanner. What does it do? So the short answer is one. Okay. It uh, I'll start with the short and then the longer answer. The short answer okay. is that it, it first ensures that whatever uh, is interacting with the device is an actual human being. So okay. not a display or not a photograph of an eyeball. Not a, not a photograph or uh, like more sophisticated optical attacks because there's like many things you can, you can do here. Um, so that's the first step: checking that whatever we see is an actual human being. Uh, and then the second piece is it takes an image of my eye, calculates a unique embedding out of this uh, picture. Everything happens on a device. And that embedding then is signed by the device. And that's then the only thing that actually leaves the device and gets compared against all other users. Uh, and if that uniqueness check is successful, then me, that I just verified with an orb, I then can later do a zero knowledge proof that I am included in that set. Hmm. And if you're not familiar with zero knowledge proofs, what it allows you to do is it lets you prove something without actually revealing the underlying information. Hmm. So what that enables us to do is it builds a self, like essentially a self-custodial identity network where the data control is with the user and there's no centralized entity that actually has the information of who you are, where you're from, all of these things, but rather this person is a unique human being and has verified with Vulcan before, while the user could decide to attach more information to that. So that, that that's kind of the short of it. I think we should talk much more about the why in, in a second, because that's not trivial, but but yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, maybe maybe just to help us get to the why, you yeah. could talk about what would be a practical use case for this technology. Because if I think about something like, you know, you mentioned UBI, universal basic income. If I think yep. a government starts some sort of UBI program, then I would assume that they identify people mm. by something like a social security number or whatever the equivalent might be yep. in that country. So what yep. does this do that those traditional systems mm. of identity do not? Well, so when you start with traditional identity, the really hard thing for governments is actually making sure everyone only has one passport. And that is with an identity is called uh, deduplication. It's a really hard problem because um, all the systems, all the technologies you use usually in your life, let's say your iPhone, uh, Face ID, what that actually does is just it re-authenticates you. So it, it realizes... Uh, I'm the same person, again, logging into that phone. And that's a one-to-one -one comparison, and that is fairly easy to do. Uh, what is really hard to do is making sure, okay, Alex did not sign up compared to a billion other people. And so that's why many governments actually have biometric systems in place, because otherwise also their social security number system would completely break. Hmm. But that's not rolled out globally. So in fact, a, a good mental model is about 50% of the global population actually have a digitally verifiable identity. That's a huge number of people that just don't have it, right? And so uh, I think United States is is is, uh, is, uh, is pretty good, or at least decent. 
it's actually not a really good identity solution. Uh, Europe, uh, in parts, is, is is pretty capable. The strongest is India, uh, although there is there's definitely privacy privacy concerns here because they don't use knowledge proofs and, and things like that. But for example, India, they have a, a program called Adhar that also used hours uh, recognition to hmm. kind of roll out to the global population. And it really accelerated the whole economy like crazy. So they had Adhar and then they built UPI on top, which is a payment rail. And so whenever you talk to people that are in that kind of area of technology, everyone always brings up India hmm. as the most prominent example of like what identity plus a strong financial rail can actually do to accelerate an economy. So, and, and this is what Rollcoin is doing. Basically, Rollcoin is, uh, is able to create a deduplication set. So it provides me with the ability to prove that I'm actually unique against everyone else. But then also there's World ID, which is an identity protocol on top of that. And let's start with the basics. So the first thing I could do is I could log into Twitter and I could say, I don't already have a Twitter account without actually revealing my name. Um, and then if you think a little bit forward, you could even cryptographically sign every tweet you make so that you, you kind of lay a trace of like, okay, uh, this is actually Alex versus anyone else. And I think this is really where this is, is going to go, right? Because this progress around AI is definitely an exponential. So we, we will get to a place where you will, help, you will have to authenticate pretty much everything you do on the internet. Uh, so that's the basic, but then with World ID, which is a protocol that lets you add uh, verifiable credentials and, and many other things within identity space, you can actually bootstrap a whole identity system on top. Hmm. So this was like a quick rant, but no, it's good. So it's not that it's proving that you are, you know, a Joe Weisenthal or a Tracy Alloway. It's proving that there is only mm. one of you without necessarily the ID attached or the name attached. That is exactly. So that that is the that that is the whole point, <laughs> because then, but then, what World ID uh, lets you do. So uh, if you're not into crypto, but this whole idea of self custody is very important, right? Of course, I'm pretty sure it came up before. Um, what what that lets you do is you basically you verify for Volcan, you receive your World ID, and then it might be that for some applications you actually want to prove that you're over 18 or you're mm -hmm. Joe Weisetel, then the World ID protocol, which is li literally just like an open source protocol and every developer, every company could implement with that, you as a user you can then decide to also attach additional information to your World ID. So that is my name or that is my KYC information. And then you can decide to reveal that to some applications with zero knowledge proofs as well. But no one other than you actually has that information. So I think, uh, God, I have, I have like hundreds of questions. There's so many different ways. So, you know, one basic, but one idea you keep mentioning zero knowledge proven, just to sort of yep. like the basic idea, and this is the short, is like, you know, when I go to websites sometimes, government websites, you enter in your social security number. But the idea is with a zero knowledge proof, it would be I prove to the government that I know my social security number without telling the government what my social security number is. Well, I mean, that, that one is actually tricky no, no, because in, in, okay. in that case, you would reveal the social security number. Okay. What is a much more, what is a much better way to explain it is um, the website asks you, are you on any kinds of sanction list, <laughs> right? right? right. Uh, or are you over 18? Or are you actually a US citizen, right? And 
then these things you could prove of zero knowledge. And then mm-hmm. basically what comes out of this is like a, a, a proof runs on your phone that you're not included in a sanctions list, let's say. And that the only thing that comes out and ends up with the website is yes or no. But the website does not know what is the social security number you checked against. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So then the other question I have, and the obvious thing is, look, scanning your eyeball, it's going to make anyone anxious. And I'm like totally up for it. And even I'm like, you know, a little bit anxious about it. Uh, How do you establish... So there's no un, – unlike, say, Clear at the airport, which also uses an eyeball scan so that you can go by security, um, there's no centralized database of our irises. And how do you sort of like establish or prove to people that there's no database? Because if my understanding, there has been reporting that at least at some point in the process of the development of WorldCoin as you've grown as a startup, that at one point or at least currently there was a iris database. Okay, so there there's many things here. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna start. I'm gonna start with explaining or sure. how to develop comfort around the idea and, and why why it's necessary. So, sure. First of all, I I hate the idea of building the orb. Like when we actually started working on Rollcoin, <laughs> like it, it was ex, absolutely horrific because it's we've been four people sitting in a smart a small apartment in San Francisco, and the idea of building hardware devices that take biometric data and roll them out globally was a horrific idea back then. One, because it's very complicated, expensive, and um, and then... I yeah, mean, I, I imagine pitching that one to VCs would be kind of tricky, right? <laughs> oh, it was it was, it was was horrific. It was in the middle of... It was also like... I mean, Rockcoin is also a crypto project, and we, we started... Yeah, I want to ask in, you about in, that too. Yeah. yeah, we started in like in the middle of a bear market. So... I remember back then when we talked to the first investors, they're like, okay, like other than Ethereum or Bitcoin, nothing will exist. Like all of this is nonsense. What do you talk about AI also? No one <laughs> cares about that also. Like, what are you even doing? So, but again, so neither me or anyone else was really excited about um, building a hardware device. But really, we, we spent almost a year doing research uh, in pretty much everything you could do to solve that problem. Right, and solving that problem is okay. Issuing a privacy-preserving identity that works globally, not only in the United States, not only in Europe. Uh, w- w- what do we have to do? 
And there's basically like three big answers to this. Uh, one is you use government KYC, right? Which might be a sufficient answer for some parts of the world, but it was pretty shocking to realize for how few, right? So kind of that very quickly disqualified. Second uh, is what people call web of trust. Uh, so this whole idea that you just like you build reputation up between people and that also like in short just didn't work. And the second and, and then the third is is biometrics um, and everything that uh, surrounds that whole field. And within biometrics, we then build prototypes for pretty much everything you could imagine. We build palm scanners. We build uh, kind of a face ID like implementation of it. We build fingerprint scanners. All these things. But the short of it is. To solve this deduplication problem, so this uniqueness check, you need uh, a lot of entropy, so information about each user. If you don't have that, your error rate explodes exponentially. And so, hmm. simple example: if you would use uh, Face ID to solve the same problem, after tens of millions of uh, users, you would have to reject everyone. So you don't have a constant error rate. You don't have like five percent constantly reject, but you you just hit a wall and your system breaks. Huh. And so face doesn't work. Uh, same is true for fingerprints. Um, and the only thing that really works is and is proven to work is iris recognition. So that's why we ended up there. And then even with an iris recognition, we even had to build our own hardware. We had to build our own lens, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but <laughs> we, we kind of had to build this whole device from the ground up to make that happen. So much to the why. And how do we get people or like, how do we think about this whole headline of comfort around this. There's a couple of things. One, actually build a privacy-preserving system that goes way further than what you're used to, right? And that, that's, I think, really what we did uh, because there is no information about you that, that you actually reveal by using WorldCoin. And I think that's pretty remarkable. It's definitely counterintuitive because you're like, okay, we use eyeball scanning. and yeah. uh, but So this is headline one. Headline two and that's a journey for sure, is open sourcing everything, right? So this, I think that's one of the core parts of this, the crypto ethos is just mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to trust, but rather uh, you can verify. And we, the hardware is completely open source already. Um, the software to uh, meaningful parts, the protocol completely. Um, so everything will be open source in, in the coming months. And so that's, that's answer two. And then three, it actually is way less of a thing than, than you would think. So we have now 1.7 million users, roughly uh, 600,000 of them that use the app on a monthly basis. I travel the world very frequently. I talk to a lot of users on the ground and just like try to understand what's kind of what's, what's your feeling, what do you, what do you understand, what do you not to understand. And um, it is very much... Yeah, like broadly speaking, globally speaking, this is way less of a concern, uh, which obviously does not lower our bar, but uh, hmm. it's the case. So I have two things on that, and I think they're sort of related. But one, why does open source seem to be such a thing in in AI in particular? And then secondly, what is the crypto <laughs> role yeah. um, in this project? Because yeah. 
you know, we mentioned WorldCoin. I can only imagine what it was like pitching to VCs in the midst of, you know, you the crypto bear market, yeah. uh, saying we want to scan everyone's eyeballs. And oh, by the way, there's also like a crypto element to this as well, a token. Why have that component of it? I mean, at this point, I'm actually not an AI expert anymore because I think I'm basically two years out of the field um, <laughs> and went into crypto, which is an interesting journey also. But um but soon you'll be going back into AI, probably. That's what all the crypto people are doing now, right? Well, um, <laughs> no, no comment. Sorry, I'm but, joking. Um, I'm joking. Uh, so, so why why is open sourcing such a thing? It is mm. basically around AI specifically. It is that you have a technology that is probably as foundational as the as electricity, as as literally, like it's it's. Still, I think incomprehensible to people what a big deal this is. Right, this is like one of the biggest paradigm shifts in technology that happened ever. And there is different approaches of how to deal with this and all the underlying risks. And basically, the two different lines of thought is one is you open source everything; uh, everyone should be able to verify and understand how everything is happening. And then the other is. Well, you actually kind of have to lock down these models because if it ends up in the wrong hands, then mm. uh, malicious actors have a lot of power. And I think, I mean, OpenAI is uh, definitely uh, the kind of in the center of discourse because it started with open sourcing, and then the team realized throughout the years that actually this whole premise of open sourcing is probably a terrible idea. Um, so that's why it's a discuss discussion within within AI, within crypto. It is just that the whole thesis of crypto is that you build actual protocols, not companies. So you build systems that are not dependent on a small group of people, uh, can be completely verified, and can run over decades uh, without being interrupted by and, and that's open source is just like the core of this uh, together with decentralization. So I think that's AI and crypto. I actually do think with an AI, it's it's a very overblown discussion. Um, I think within crypto, it's the core thesis almost. Hmm. And so the crypto element with WorldCoin, as I understand it, is to like insert a degree of, I guess, community control over that hmm. technology, right? Like there's some talk about the tokens coming with voting rights and things like that. There are so many things there, actually. Um, one is, I think, crypto. And that's something that is, if you're not kind of deeply in the space, that is hard to kind of realize what a big deal this is. But it is this idea that tokens build business models for networks almost, right? So you don't you don't have a company, but rather you have a uh, you have a like let's let, let's say Ethereum. Ethereum is a, a very powerful protocol, but it has kind of an underlying business model. But it's not that Vitalik gets rich by that. It is. Uh, no, there's fees on the system. He, he well, he did, yeah. But because he was early, not because right. now he still makes money, right? It's not that okay. the company is printing money and then Vitalik gets rich every month, but rather, okay. you have a token and you have a fee structure, and as the utility increases, the network can basically sustain itself, right? So it can sustain its security, it can su sustain its operation, and things like that. And so you you basically find a way how you fund a decentralized operation. And can it just let it sustain over time? And that is one of the big core things here: is you build very like 
when Rollcon works, it's really foundational infrastructure. It's, I think, without being overconfident, I think it's a, it is a very big deal because it's a very foundational piece of technology that just doesn't exist right now. That should not be in the hands of a few people, but rather it should be governed by a wider mm. group of people and it should actually be decentralized. So also that it cannot break just if I'm in a bad mood, let's say. That would be that, so, that would be. Terrible. So instead of having like a centralized actor who controls the orb, which is a sentence I didn't think I would say today, um, you have this decentralized group of investors slash stakeholders. Is that how it works? Yep. Got it. This, this <laughs> is like the sparks now, like a whole other part of conversation. But um, basically, how it works is so the orb is an open source hardware device right now. The company that I'm a CEO of, Tools for Humanity, is the only ones that produce these orbs, but this will change. So you will have, like, if you fast forward two, three years in the future, you're going to have many companies that produce their implementation of the orb following the same standards that connect to the Rollcon protocol, right? Um, so you basically. So Apple have, could produce an orb theoretically. Yeah, one Apple, day. Microsoft, like, whatever. They could produce their own orb, follow their own standards, make it, design it the way they want. Uh, but it will connect to the protocol and that will allow for just a very foundational protocol on the internet that everyone can use um, that doesn't break. And the token distributes the governance and also the incentive mechanisms all around the same goal. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, I mean, you talked about the importance of like, okay, if this is going to be this foundational infrastructure that everyone uses in some way to verify themselves or whatever, and also is the sort of rails perhaps for some universal basic income that we all need because, you know, AI is going to put half of us out of jobs in theory. Like, okay, it better be like not just controlled, no offense, by Alex Blanya and Sam Altman. Like that would be kind of weird. But how do we know that's not the case? And I want to go back to a question I asked specifically about like in the past, like have you had a IRIS database? So how it works is, and that's not – it's not a secret. Um, basically, when you when you verify with uh, with Rollcoin, quickly go to the flow. So let's say you hear about Rollcoin, you're excited about it, whatever you want to sign yeah. up. You download an app, 
right now there's only one app that lets you do that, but soon that also will change. Uh, so right now that app is called World App. Uh, it's a non-custodial wallet. You click Verify Now, a map pops up. Hopefully we're near you. You go to an orb, and then you show QR code to the open 30 seconds later. You receive your world ID, and you also receive world coin on a rolling basis. So every every week hmm. you receive like a, a small part of world coin. And in that sign-up flow, because we're in beta, we actually did not launch yet, right? The launch is something that is going to happen reasonably soon. That's also why we talk right. right now, why it's a very important moment in time for us. There, You had two options, opt-in or opt-out. Opt-out is basically uh, we don't have any data of you. Opt-in means uh, we basically have custody of your data for the reason that the neural networks that are on this device right now are still in development. And so if you opt out, uh, it could happen that you have to re-verify in a year or so because we basically mm. just updated the model as we as we as we went. Um, but where this is going is very clearly by default, and I think actually launch it will be uh, completely opt out. Um, mm. This is just the the nature of being in beta and developing technology as we go. So I I take the point that you're in beta at the moment, but. You know, the arc of recent technological innovation seems to be that people often come up with something with the best of intentions mm. or in order to solve an identified problem. And then it often gets used in the worst possible way. So what's like the terrible use case arc <laughs> of this technology? Because one thing that springs to mind and, you know, we, we could talk about robot invasions and like Terminator style AI takeovers, but like one more realistic thing that would spring to mind is, okay, you, you set something like this up and then as you walk through a shopping mall, you know, mm. there's some other technology that's scanning your eyeballs, identifying who you are, and maybe pitching targeted ads or, or something like that. Like, how do you separate the identity verification from companies using that mm. for other purposes? Yep. So we we actually have a quite in-depth for extreme in the company uh, right now in Tools for Humanity and we will publish this as we go that just like we try to come up with the worst weirdest scenarios of like whatever China's attacking the network with billions of dollars like what what could actually happen what could go wrong right mm. so the, the thing is given zero knowledge proofs separate your wallet from uh, the kind of the uniqueness check the only thing that could happen, and to be clear, in some cases that actually, like if, if you think 10 years in the future and you think like Rokonis is a very powerful technology, that could actually be bad, is uh, people could say, okay, that individual is verified with Rokon, yes or no, right? And that might, like you could definitely think of scenarios of like, okay, China is banning Rokon because it's literally the anti-thesis of what they're building with their identity system because it's privacy preserving. That you might actually have, uh, or it, it might be bad for you to be verified before coin, or you whatever, right? So there's like there's some scenarios here, but I think that's that is pretty much the worst case scenario you're looking at, because otherwise the only like let, let's go even to the far extreme, which to be very clear is not what is the case. Mm -hmm. But let's say there would be like a a huge database of uh, of of biomet biometric images of all users. It's not connected to your actual account. So you you still have 
the most there's like multiple layers of privacy in between but then make sure that nothing really bad is happening there well i'm gonna go into a slightly macabre arc of this or maybe sci-fi angle but since we're just talking about bad things happening i'm just gonna go there which is eyeball theft someone cutting out uh if a really important person who uses WorldCoin to verify themselves on some network, a criminal attacker physically maiming someone. Like, I imagine these 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 sort of scenarios are digging up uh, the dead for their eyeballs. Can you, These must come up in your conversations about really extreme scenarios. Can you talk about some of these sort of like weird out there physical risks? Yeah, they, all of these signups would not work because the orb would realize that um, you are, or that, person is these eyes are not alive and are not connected to an actual alive this is the, the moment on all thoughts when we talk about degenerating eyeball tissue <laughs> but oh yeah this well, is, is like that, i don't know anything i think about we should that. stop so, this yeah. whole part of discussion but <laughs> no 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 <laughs> I, I mean i am sure i'm actually really like this is a, yeah, like yeah. what is a liveness check like and and i guess yes. it goes back to your question of like why eyeballs and not thumbprints or why mm. not fingerprints or face id or your gait or something like talk to us about that verification why the eyeball can't be replicated why it wouldn't work if not attached to a live person like these must come up this would this is what would freak me out sure so so the device has multiple sensors in front okay. uh, there's like a lot of compute on this device there's like a, a separate um gpu and there's seven neural networks that basically at all time run and what a large part of these networks is doing is just to make sure that whatever we see is an actual uh human being alive no fraud attack no kind of weird cases and then there is in front there's multiple sensors that make sure that that's the case and you could even go as far as like an ai trying to attack the system because that can also happen in the future right so all of that should not happen and so what the orb does it images multi-spectral so what that means is across multiple wavelengths in the electromagnetic spectrum all at the same time and this is just like you can think of very sophisticated optical table attacks. Like I did a lot of this physics when I was younger. You you can think of these things, but it's uh, extremely expensive, and I think even that will will not be possible in the future. So it's just really really hard to to fool this mm. device. Mm. Um, I mean, of course, it, to be clear. The infrastructure is there. Like the neural networks are still, we were still building up. So we, right now we are actually aware of a couple of attacks that can still happen and that will still be the case for the next year. Like all of this technology is not perfect yet. So hmm. it will still take time, but at least the technology is there to make sure that none of these attacks will ever go through. Hmm. So setting aside the worst case scenarios, uh, maybe a slightly um, easier question, <laughs> but what what is the path to adoption mm. that you see here because like there are a lot of things it feels like to overcome one is the creepiness factor of having your eyeball scanned but secondly you know if you're touting this as a way to identify people who might be um, in need of some sort of official identification in countries that don't necessarily have those systems yet or have subpar systems I imagine like there has to be a reason why they would want to have this done um, you know in most places, uh, in almost all places in the world, no one is getting universal basic income yet. So mm. what is the path to adoption and what are the the incentives for people to do this? 
Right. This is kind of the the everything question. Like, if, of course, if I if would have the perfect answer to this, um, I would tweet it out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good so answer. It, yeah, I, I, I think answering um, every yeah. question we've ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. keep going. So, this is um, why we're worried about re- being replaced. We don't need right, a, or this is why right. we're worried. Just tweet it out. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Um, okay, so there, there's like there, there's a couple different arcs to to the response to this question, right? So one is when we launch, there's going to be a token, a token with a cap supply that will play a very important role in that uh, in kind of the whole evolving nature of this project. And when you sign up, you basically receive on a running basis, you receive ownership in the network through the token. And I think that's exciting for a lot of reasons. Like one, it's a direct incentive. It's a direct, like you literally get money basically that you could uh, you, you could sell or you could do anything with. Um, so it's all, already like a very small form of, um, it's not basic because it's not enough money, but it's a small form of UBI in some sense. I think that will motivate a lot of people and we already see it's like moving a lot of people to, like we have the crazy, like literally, Right now is the craziest time for me running this project because it's blowing up. Like all the dashboards completely go vertical, and we have like people flying from Japan to Portugal to sign up and whatever. Like it's pretty really, it's pretty crazy. Um, so that certainly uh, does something. That's one. Two is of course integrations. Uh, so making sure that kind of large technology companies or services actually integrate with world ID and that's gonna, I mean, it's gonna take a while because you have a chicken and egg problem. You need a lot of users for that to be interesting to uh, products and so on and so forth. So just like a little bit of a balancing act, but I'm sure it's going to happen. And once that is the case, once, once you have like major integrations, then I'll kind of an actual flywheel is starting because as a user, you will be able to use a lot of services that you're just not able to use without it. And so that's kind of, that's the, that's the short of it. And I have a lot more specific, specific answers are much more localized as well. So for example, we are in Buenos Aires and so we will work on local integrations in in Argentina. Um, So it, it will not start with Twitter or Meta. It will start with like, uh, very localized applications, but yeah, that's where it goes. Uh, since this is odd lots, I have a really quick question. You know, um, you built this, I'm going to pick it up again because it's really kind of fun. The whole thing. You built yeah. this piece of hardware. Yeah, this orb. Uh, do you have any supply, interesting supply chain issues in terms of the optics or the semiconductors? Or, I mean, it's a, and how much does it right now cost to build an orb? So we had, especially during COVID, we had yeah. crazy supply chain uh, crunches. So it's like generally, like Elon talked a lot about this in, in the earlier days, but I definitely also ran into this. It's like you have a perfect running prototype and then it just feels trivial to produce this thing, but it's just not. It was absolutely terrific. Like we had this, we had this prototype and then building up a production line and, and really being able to produce like thousands of them was a completely different challenge. So that almost took like a year to, to completely lock this, uh, lock this in. And then within COVID, we had crazy supply chain issues, but that's now mostly gone. Um, the kind of the, the industry has completely recovered. What was the hardest component to get? Um, oh man, it was, uh, 
it was death by a thousand cuts. Uh, it was everything from the computing unit to uh, random capacitors, uh, weird ones that we use. Uh, we have like the, 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 the actual lens right now mm -hmm. is single source supplier, which is something that obviously has to change. But since we customly had to build this lens, there's only one company in the world that builds that lens. So that, that was a, a really tricky one to kind of ramp it up over time. Um, how much does it cost right now? Right now is still, we're still pretty expensive, but honestly it doesn't really matter because, um, so right now it's like 4,000, four to $5,000, depending on the exact batch. Mm -hmm. It's coming down to be around $1,500 at, at mass manufacturing. And I think in a couple of years, it's going to be, um, below $500. We got to put That's the orb. Less than I would have thought. We got to put the orb into the Fed's inflation basket. We're getting so much better at producing eyeball scanning orbs. Yes, <laughs> yes. Healthcare and medical care massively inflated, but yeah. we can all scan our eyeballs cheaper and at cheaper, cheaper every costs. year. Excellent. Alex Bonya, this was such a fascinating conversation. It's like, I mean, there's like a million more things I could want to ask, and maybe we'll have you back in a year. Mm. And then in two years, when we're all on UBI because we've been put out of work by AI. And so, you know, whatever it is. But this was our, this was far and away our most sort of like futuristic sci-fi-ish conversation we've ever had. Not something I would have ever contemplated in the past. So thank you so much for coming on Outlaw. Amazing. I take that as a compliment. Thanks for yeah, having me. Yeah, absolutely. Without thanks, question. Alex. Yeah, that Thank was really you. interesting. Tracy, are you are you going to get scanned? Um, you know what? I think I'm going to wait a little bit until there's some visible upside for me, which which is <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, that yeah. last question that I asked Alex, which, you know, I, I am reasonably, I understand the use case of having some sort of like wallet or portable identification mm -hmm. that you can take with you across the internet yeah. and like various outlets. That kind of makes sense to me. And I think we've spoken about that use case before. However, at this point in time, I don't see a lot of upside. Uh, you know, maybe it would be easier to file some claims against Twitter for like yeah. bot copycats, but it's but, not much. Yeah, but and to your point though, like, or and really, or sorry, to Alex's point, mm. like, it's so it's on Twitter. Like, do they want to integrate the WorldCoin API? Which I don't actually get the impression that like, I'm. It doesn't seem like any of the big networks like are anywhere like. Well, That's on the roadmap of anyone, right? Well, now. this is the other thing I'm thinking about is, uh, you know, part of the WorldCoin use case is this decentralization yeah. aspect of it. But what we've seen time and time again throughout history is that the world tends towards middlemen and verification of some sort. Yeah. So I can imagine a future where maybe you do get your eyeball scanned, but maybe it's not by WorldCoin oh, yeah. or a decentralized entity. Maybe it's twitter itself and they this is even more dystopian well, the, well, you know like twitter yeah. keeps its own database of your eyeballs well that's the thing like i use clear you know like i already like scan my yeah. eyeball at the airport and it's like oh, it's a hundred dollars and that's a centralized database i save a few minutes yeah it's like i've already i could when it comes to privacy i've already like basically given, given it, i've already given it all up to save about five minutes in an <laughs> uh airline so i guess i'm just like yeah you know i'll i'll, I'll, I'll get scanned why not but I'm skeptical. You know, actually, honestly, it's not even like the privacy or anything like that or like the dystopian scenarios so much as like 
I don't really want a scenario in which like computers put us all out of jobs and we need the UBI. And I think we didn't really get into like this scenario in the future. Like where will the political impulse from an UBI come from? It'll mm-hmm. come from in an economy that's so lopsided in who reaps the benefits of AI that we like have yeah. to have it for political stability, which that's like the scenario that like freaks me out more than anything. Right. In the future where you really need WorldCoin, yeah. like the most insidious thing is that you need it because yes. no one has jobs. That's right. Right. Like more than anything else, the scam, the whatever, it's this scenario in which like, oh, I need to like get my UBI from like somewhere and like they tax Sam Altman so that we can all like that's like the part more than the scan or the privacy or the you know the digging up the dead that freaks me out yeah i'm telling you great business model create the problem (laughs) and the solution uh on that happy note shall we leave it there let's leave it there all right this has been another episode of the all thoughts podcast i'm tracy alloway you can follow me on twitter at tracy alloway and i'm joe weisenthal you can follow me on twitter at the stalwart follow our guest alex blanya as he said if he uh he might just tweet it out he might just tweet out the answer to all of these things he's at alex blanya and follow our producers on twitter carmen rodriguez at carmen armin and dashiell bennett at dashbot and follow all of the bloomberg podcasts under the handle at podcasts and for more odd lots content go to bloomberg.com slash odd lots where we have a blog we have a transcript and a newsletter that comes out every friday and check out our discord it's super fun people chatting about odd lot stuff with other listeners 24 7 go to discord dot gg slash yep the discord is very fun you should also stream bloomberg originals on apple tv samsung roku tune in at 10 p.m It's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.